Thank you that your word changes us and that it is as true today as when John wrote these words all those years ago. We thank you for Cheryl and that she is a woman of your word. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you fill her to overflowing? And would you change us as she speaks? Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so hopefully you found a Bible. They'll be at the ends somewhere. Uh, we're in John chapter 15 on page 1022. And this is a, a piece of the gospel called the vine and the branches. So reading from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we are continuing with our I Am series. I Am, you will recall, is the name that God called himself when he revealed himself to Moses uh, back before the Exodus. And John's gospel is all about showing us that Jesus is the Son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. So all seven of the I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John are all about declaring his deity. Whenever Jesus says, I am, he's basically telling us that he is the Son of God. And today he tells us that I am the vine. This is one of the, unfortunately, I don't think our, our church Bibles do this, but if you have a Bible on your phone, uh, the version that I have shows Jesus' actual words that he speaks in red. And this is one of these wonderful passages where the whole lot is red. So although the whole Bible is God-breathed, uh, in a lot of the Bible we're hearing people talk about Jesus or talk about the things he did. But here, Jesus is actually speaking directly to us. So the context for this passage is the Last Supper, the night before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Of course, Jesus knows this, but the disciples don't yet. And there's a whole series of John from chapter 13 through to about the middle of 17 that is called the Upper Room Discourse because the Last Supper was in the Upper Room, or the Farewell Discourse. So here we are in 15, pretty much right in the middle of that. This is essentially Jesus' final teaching to his disciples. 
What he has said up to this point is that he is going away, that he will be with them only a little longer, and that he is going to his father. But they don't understand what he's talking about. If you read uh, from 13 and 14, you have first Peter, then Philip, then Thomas, get completely the wrong end of the stick about what he's trying to tell them. And, and who can blame them? Here we are, three years of their lives they've spent with Jesus. They've given up everything to be with him. And now he's talking about it all coming to an end before it really seems to have begun at all. So what he's giving them is an assurance and a comfort that will help them in his death, but also in the mission that he is going to leave for them and the persecution that they're going to face because of that. He's basically speaking to them about what it will mean to be a disciple after he has gone in body. So in that sense, really, as Christians, he's speaking exactly the same things to us. We are his disciples today. It's interesting in the first verse, right at the beginning, he says, I am the true vine. Why the true vine? So the vine was a very common and popular image for Israel at the time. It was almost a sort of a national emblem. Because it was a land full of vineyards. And there were vines literally everywhere. And Jesus uses them a lot in his parables. But this isn't a parable. He doesn't say, it is like a vine. He says, I am the vine. So we know here that the reference to the vine goes a little bit deeper than just a parable. The disciples were Jewish. I don't know about you, but I quite easily forget that. But they were Jewish, and they would have recognized, well, perhaps we don't, that what Jesus is talking about is Israel. The vine was a, an image that was used actually for Israel itself. So the psalmist and the prophet Isaiah have these wonderful passages where they talk about how the Lord lifted Israel as a vine. If you think of it like a little uh, sapling vine out of Egypt for the exodus. And he carried it over to this land, this promised land that he had prepared and carefully nurtured and cleared just for them. And he planted that little vine in this most beautiful vineyard. Israel was the Lord's. It was the Lord's heart. Unfortunately, we know that Israel did not fulfill their side of the covenant. Israel was faithless and therefore it was fruitless. And so God sent his son, Jesus, for all of us, not just for Israel, but for all of us, to establish a new covenant, which is basically that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So for the disciples, when he uses this phrase, I am the true vine, he is emphasizing this point. There's perhaps a risk, he thinks, that in the immediate days after his death, they might go back to their former beliefs. But he wants to tell them, remind them that the old covenant is gone. There is now only the new. It is Jesus that is now the vine, not Israel. Jesus is the only way to the one God, his Father, and his kingdom. In another I am statement, which we're looking at next week, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So Jesus is the, is the vine. And then in verse 5, he says to the disciples and he says to us, I am the vine, you are the branches. As branches, our purpose is to bear fruit. It's interesting, uh, in verse 8, he says, in fact, that we show we are his disciples by bearing much fruit. This is the mark of a disciple that we bear fruit. By contrast, uh, just a little earlier in his ministry, in one of his run-ins with, uh, with them, Jesus says to the Pharisees, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So fruitfulness is the core of this, this passage. So when we say fruit, what do we mean? I think fruit is anything that we are and we do that helps to bring in the kingdom, even if it's by a tiniest bit. Fruitfulness is everything that we are and that we do that points others to Christ. Fruitfulness is everything we are and we do that gives glory to God. And in this passage, Jesus talks about how that fruitfulness can be increased by pruning. So if you look at back to verse 1, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So a vine is a really good um, analogy here. A vine leads a lot of attention in order to produce good fruit. So a vine left to its own devices will go nuts. It just have this wild growth, which will go off in all sorts of directions, loads and loads of leaves. It essentially ends up closing in on itself, cutting out its own light. And so it doesn't have the nutrients that it needs. It's given up all its energy and all this mad growth spurt. It doesn't have the energy and the nutrients it needs to produce the fruit and to bring it to maturity. So the answer to that is pruning, because pruned back, it has enough nutrients and enough sunlight to produce the perfect fruit that it's meant to produce. So there's a writer, uh, Robin Daniels, who um, talks about this pruning in terms of what it means for us. He says, we grow not only by what we add, but by the accretions we cut away. The cul-de-sac desires and activities. The stuck habits of thought, speech, and behavior. These are limpets onto self. Every so often, eliminate the superfluous or stultifying from your life. An object, an unattainable desire, a stifling attitude, an ardent attachment, an ensnaring activity. We cut away in order to prepare for something better. So it's important to recognize, despite the rather aggressive language in these verses, that pruning is, is care, it's not punishment. In fact, not to prune would be neglect. We read in Hebrews that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Indeed, it is painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So pruning makes us more fruitful, but how does it actually happen? Firstly, it takes time. Mostly, it just takes time. There are changes that God makes in us overnight. 
You may have experienced that. I certainly have. But most of the time, in the regular day-to-day relationship with the Lord, it happens over a period of time, and such that we probably don't even notice it. I don't know whether you have those um, experiences where one day you'll suddenly think, hang on a second, I've changed quite a lot in that thing, whatever it is, patience, forgiveness, loving my neighbor. And maybe often forget, as I do, that we had actually prayed for that several months ago, perhaps forgotten that we'd prayed for it, and here we are, the Lord has done it without us quite noticing. So one of the ways that we can um, just think about pruning is that we are a work in progress. Every single one of us is a work in progress. But the Lord is always working. He's never not working in us. Even when nothing seems to be happening, we must have faith that he is working in us. And the more we let him work in us, the more he will change us. How do we do that? How do we participate with him in that process? One of the ways we do that is through prayer. If we're ever in doubt about the answer to a question, usually the first answer is Jesus. The second answer is prayer. We can ask God to show us the changes that we need to make. We can ask God also to give us the grace to make those changes. We can ask the Holy Spirit to make those changes in us. Those are prayers that that do not go unanswered. We can also put our own spiritual disciplines in place. If you don't already have one, you might want to think about establishing a rule of life, for example. I had a very exciting weekend last weekend. I took my final life vows as a lay Franciscan. As Franciscans, we have a rule of life that touches on things like um, our disciplines around taking communion, around going on retreat, around living a a simplicity of life, around patterns of prayer. I find it extraordinarily helpful. I need that in order to, to grow spiritually the way that I want to. When I first started my formation as a Franciscan, it was, it was described to me, the rule of life was described to me like the way a trellis or a framework, similar to the ones that vines are grown on. So vines are grown, they're pruned, but they're also trained by being attached to a trellis. It could be, uh, you'll see them in vineyards, sort of rows of, of wire. Or if they're against a wall, a wooden trellis, where as the shoots come out, they're uh, sort of tied on to the trellis or the frame to encourage them to grow in a certain direction. A rule of life or any spiritual discipline does the same thing for us spiritually. So it's something that may be worth thinking about. Big life events are also times of pruning, or they can be times of pruning. They're an invitation to pruning very often. So it might be a death, as we, uh, some of us are, aware of, of our uh, friend Caleb's death last, uh, just this week. It might be a wonderful event like new birth and the wonderful baptism that we're celebrating today with Sebastian. Uh, it might be the loss of a job, maybe retirement. It might be the loss of a relationship. These are all times when you may have found yourself that questions arise. What is the purpose of life? What is life all about? What is the purpose of my life? It might be good not to dismiss those questions too quickly. They're very uncomfortable. 
but maybe it's good for us to sit in the discomfort with the Lord and speak to him about them. Very often, those, that dis- feeling of discomfort can be his calling us to a new way of thinking or a new path. And pruning comes as well just from doing God's will. The very discipline of even asking God what his will is in the first place and how often might we forget to do that in the day is itself a, a discipline in a way of pruning. And then actually doing his will, of course, is in a whole nother lot of, uh, of discipline and challenge, whether that's something very big or something very day-to-day, like uh, getting out of bed in time to get to church. So all this pruning is not done with some kind of divine cookie cutter. God is not up there trying to chop bits away from us to make us into some kind of generic Christian. Pruning for vines and also for us is a very precise process. It's literally down with the vine to you know this, this inch from this bit at this time of year. And the Lord is the same with us. When the Lord prunes us, it's not to make us the same as everybody else. It's to make us more unique. It is to bring us back to our true self, who is the person that he created in the first place. God made us all entirely unique. I mean, you only have to look at us lot and how very different we all are. The fact that we're entirely unique means that the fruit that we have to offer is also entirely unique. Nobody else has the fruit to offer God that you have. The fruit is different because each one of us displays God's face and God's love and God's character to the world in a totally different way. None of us can reflect the whole of who God is to the world, but every one of us is given a little piece of it to reflect to the world. So the more we are our own unique self, the more we are our own true self, the more fruit we bear, the more glory we give to God. But we will only get to be our true selves if we let God do that pruning in us. The Irish uh, playwright George Bernard Shaw (coughs) was a strident atheist. I've been looking this week at some of the stuff on the internet, at the things he said about Christianity and God. I mean, he really was anti. Um, He enjoyed a huge amount of worldly success. That's why so many of us remember his name today. But when he was asked on his deathbed, what would you do if you could live your life over again? He said, I'd like to be the person I could have been, but never was. So our true self is hidden in God, only in God. In this passage, Jesus tells us to remain in him. You may have noticed, he actually says it, which suggests we should take it seriously. He actually tells us to remain in him eight times in ten verses. So in verse five, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Twice, he says, more specifically, remain in my love. The great Thomas Merton said that our true self is hidden in the love of God. The more time we spend in his presence, the more our true self will emerge. The word remain here also means to dwell. 
what came to my mind as I was meditating on that was the time that Jesus visited Mary and Martha. And Mary Mary spent all that time sitting at Jesus' feet. And how as she sat there, looking up into his face, must she have been changed? And we too can sit at the feet of Jesus at any time in prayer and gaze at him as she did. If we truly gaze at the Lord, how can we not be captivated by him? He is all beauty and all love. But that gaze is two-way. Incredibly, as we look adoringly at him, he's actually looking adoringly at us. We may not feel very adorable a lot of the time, but he does adore us. And so he gazes at us as well. And dwelling in that place of his gazing at us is an act of allowing that gaze and surrendering to that love. We cannot experience the love of God and not be changed by it. So through his gaze, we are changed more and more into our true selves. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you do not leave us as we are, but you bring us home to to you and to our true selves. Amen.